The children are dismissed for Children's Church. And I'll invite you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This will be the last time you hear me say, I'll invite you to find 1 Corinthians for a while. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Let's pray together before we dive into God's Word. Father, would you please speak to us through your word, your mighty, powerful word. Would you please prepare the way and soften our hearts with your Holy Spirit and give us eyes that see and ears that hear. Let us be fully pliable in your hands. Let us hear your voice in your word this morning, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So yesterday I got the question that I get often as a pastor, and it is the very most difficult question that I ever get as a pastor. It's not a theological question uh, or a Bible trivia question, although often I flub those as well, but um, it's the question, how's your church doing? Uh, I got that question yesterday, I get it often, and I never know how to answer it. How's your church going? I wonder how y'all would answer that question. The reason I struggle to answer it, well, I think, honestly, the reason I struggle to answer it is because I hold myself to a ridiculous um, standard in terms of accuracy whenever I answer a question like that. So I want to say the precise, exact, accurate diagnosis of how the church is doing, which is way more than what the asker usually is actually wanting to hear. But I think the other reason I struggle to answer that question is When it comes right down to it, I don't know. So on the one hand, there's a lot going on among us that I'm really, really excited about. There is great spiritual growth among many of our people. I look back over this last decade, and I see many people have progressed so much as Christians. Um, I see ministry that I think is going well and has gone well. We've had some baptisms, which is more than we deserve. I'm so grateful for that. We, um, I'm, I'm really thankful for the progress we've made over the last year and a half or so, thinking about church membership and getting clarity on that. I'm really excited about this, this summer and thinking about evangelism together and getting our heads on straight about how we're going to approach that. So on the one hand, there's a lot that I'm really grateful for and I'm rejoicing in. But then on the other hand, numerically, we've been in a steady decline since I started at the church. So I can't just like ignore that in the answer. I mean, that, that statistically is a fact that I can't escape. What is behind that? You know, there's all kinds of theories as to what it might be. Uh, on, on this side of the equation, you know, we have half of our people committed to be members of the church that are just missing in action most of the time. You know, so there's things like that, and it's all kind of interwoven, and so it's really a pretty complex question, how's the church doing? Like, really, I need hours to talk through with you the intricacies of how the church is doing. One thing I do know for certain, if I don't know for sure how the church is doing, because ultimately time will tell. We'll know how the church did in the end when Jesus returns. But one thing I do know for certain is that God loves us. God loves Doolin's Grove Church. Just like God loves Arlington Baptist Church. And God loves Shiloh and Long's Grove. God loves all of his churches, even the really messed up churches. 
And I can say that with confidence because God loved the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was a mess. We have studied this book every summer for three years. And one thing I think we can all agree on who've been here is this was a messed up church. So when someone asks, how's your church doing? If I'm comparing it to the Corinthian church, we're doing awesome. We're doing so well. The Corinthian church had so many problems and they were all happening at the same time. If we were having just one of their problems, I would think that we were doing really badly, but they had all of these problems at the same time. They had divisions, people actually arguing over who was the better teacher. I followed Paul, I followed Apollos, I followed Cephas. They had a really low level of spiritual maturity as the norm. They did not think like Christians. They had lawsuits within the church. Church members engaged in active lawsuits currently while this letter was written. They had a member living in just open, defiant rebellion of God's ways and bragging about it. And the church had embraced him and embraced his way of life like it was normal. They were so selfish that when they had the Lord's Supper, which for them was more like a full meal, there were people like elbowing each other out of the way to get there first, to get the best of the food and drink, leaving nothing for the people behind them. They were very confused about theology. They were very confused about gender. They were very confused about marriage. They were very confused about the end times. They, they were a messed up, troubled, problematic church. And yet, what I want to point out to you in this final sermon from 1 Corinthians, God still loved them very much. I was talking to somebody yesterday. And they, they asked for a preview of what the sermon was going to be about today. And I just gave them a little teaser. The big idea is that God loves messed up churches. God loves troubled churches. And what I want to do during this sermon, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 16, verses 5 through 24, the rest of the chapter, the rest of the book. I just want to point out to you some of the ways that we see God's love for this troubled church expressed through the Apostle Paul. Paul was God's conduit of his love for this church as expressed in this letter. And I just want to point out to you, there's just six things I'm going to point out, six little observations, pretty simple stuff, pretty straightforward. My main hope is that you will feel loved by God as you remember how much he loves his churches, even his deeply imperfect churches. Okay, are you all on board for that? Well, it's happening. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 We'll start at verse 5, and the first thing I want to point out to you is that God's love expressed to the Corinthian church through Paul, we see it in that Paul actually wanted to visit them. That's the first thing I want to point out. Paul actually wanted to come and visit these people. Verse 5, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door of effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So here, Paul's winding down his letter. He's given them just some details of his travel plans. Paul is sort of over here in Ephesus. He's wanting to visit them over here in Corinth, There's a body of water in between them. 
The quickest route would just be by water, but he's going to take the long route by land because he loves all these churches and he's wanting to do sort of a, a tour of church supervision, church care. But he's working his way to the Corinthians and he says, I want to come to you in this way so that I can stay with you for a while. I want to arrive there so I can maybe stay with you all winter and spend some good time with you. Now, what's remarkable about this for me is that this was not going to be a pleasant visit. This was going to be a visit of conflict. I've told you before, when I took the personality test, I scored 100% conflict averse. Now, I don't think Paul loved conflict, but he wanted to be there because he loved these people. Now, these people, they did not like Paul. Many of them were vocal in their opposition of Paul. Many of them preferred Apollos. He's the better teacher. Paul, when you were here, you didn't, you're not eloquent. You're not wise. You're, you're no good. Send Apollos. Many of them uh, were judgmental toward him and critical of him. But he still wanted to come and be with them because he loved them. And even apart from their animosity toward him, they were just a mess, as we just described. He wanted to be there in the midst of it. He wanted to get into the middle of that because he loved them so much. Not only did he want to come, he wanted to send others into that mess. He wanted to send Timothy. In verse 10, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as am I. Timothy was his protege. He was a pastoral figure in the New Testament. Paul apparently had already made arrangements for Timothy to go to this troubled church. And now he's given them some instructions. Basically, don't be too hard on them. You guys are so mean. Don't be mean to Timothy. He's sensitive. Verse 11, so let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me for I'm expecting him with the brothers. So Paul wanted to go. He was tied up. He couldn't come, but he sent Timothy. I can only imagine what that conversation with Timothy must have been like. And Timothy, we know Corinth is a mess. I want to go and work on it. I can't go right now, so I'm sending you. I know you're younger. I know they're probably going to have even less respect for you than they do for me. And they're going to associate you with me, so they're probably going to beat the crap out of you. But I'm sending you anyway because that's what Christian ministry is. So go, I'll send a letter and do my best to get him to take it easy on you, but get going. So Timothy goes. Not only did he want to send Timothy, he wanted to send Apollos. In verse 12, he says, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. So apparently they had sent a letter to Paul asking for Apollos. We don't really want you, Paul. Your speaking style is not our cup of tea. But we love Apollos, send Apollos. Apollos, Timothy was a pastoral figure in the New Testament. Apollos is a teacher figure. Paul's like, fine, yeah, I'll send Apollos because he's a good teacher and y'all need that. He wasn't, he didn't have an ego about it. This was kind of his competition for their affection, but he didn't care. He said, I really strongly urged Apollos to go, but he didn't want to. If it wasn't for that last bit, I imagine that conversation of Paul saying, okay, Apollos, It's a mess down there. I'm trying to get freed up to go. They want you. I'm going to send you to Corinth. And Paul is being like, huh? It is not at all my will to go there now. But I think it's more not that he didn't want to come, but that he didn't have opportunity yet. So just disregard all that. 
Paul wants to move toward the trouble in Corinth because that's how God's, God's love works. It moves toward the trouble. That's how God loved us. He moved toward our trouble in Jesus Christ, sending his son to die for our sins. And he still, as a good father, moves toward the trouble. And so God's ministers have to move toward the trouble as well. Paul had to go into that. Timothy had to go into that. Apollos had to go into that because they loved that church. And they loved that church because God loved that church. One of my favorite stories of a minister moving toward the trouble is a man named Charles Simeon. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Charles Simeon. Uh, This is a guy back in the 1800s. He was a very biblical pastor and minister, preacher, kind of a Puritan sort of guy. And he was dispatched to a certain church and went there, and they hated him. They did not want him there. For whatever reason, they did not want that kind of biblical gospel ministry. And so they opposed him. That congregation opposed this minister for 20 years. And they opposed him so hard that they boycotted coming to the services Those pews apparently back then had little doors that you could lock. They locked the pew doors so that nobody, they weren't going to come and they didn't want anybody coming. So the new people he was reaching would have to stand in the aisles to hear him preach. A couple of times he, at his own expense, went and bought chairs so they could at least sit in the aisles. And his church members heard about it, came, took all the chairs, threw them out into the lawn. For 20 years, this is what his ministry looked like. And then finally things started to turn, and he ended up staying there for over 50 years and having a very fruitful ministry among those people. Why would he have gone? Why would he stay? Well, he had this love for that congregation, even though they hated him. He loved them. Why did he love them? Because even that cantankerous bunch of people, God loved. Because he loves his churches. He even loves the messed up churches. Now, many of you are probably thinking, Well, I'm glad I'm not a minister, so I don't have to go into situations like that. Au contraire. Do you remember chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, where he talks about love? I'm going to read it again, because this is our last sermon in this study. Usually you hear it at weddings. So here's, here's what Christian love looks like. This is what we're all called to offer to fellow Christians. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So this tough, muscular love, this is what Christianity is. And we're all called to minister to one another with this kind of love. Not just the vocational ministers like me, or like Paul, or like Timothy, or like Apollos, or like Charles Simeon. You are called to this kind of love as well. Because this is the kind of love you have received from God. God moves toward us in our trouble. He moves toward troubled Churches. He moves toward troubled Christians. And that's our DNA as well. So, as we think about this simple point, I just want you to reflect on as we're closing up shop in the book of 1 Corinthians how God has moved toward you in your trouble. 
If you're like me and like most people I know, those times when you were in the most pain and your life was the most complicated, likely because of your own mistakes and folly and sin, those tend to be the times that God comes through the strongest. That's how he is. That's how he loves us. Now, the second way that we see God's love for the Corinthian church through Paul is that he expected them to grow up. So Paul loved them so much, he actually wanted to go and visit them. Paul loved them so much that he expected them to grow up. Look at verses 13 and 14. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, this is a standard way that Paul closes his letters. He has a bit of sort of summary encouragement or command or admonition at the end. So it's not shocking that this is in there. Uh, It's kind of like a parent dropping off his kids at grandma's house before they leave saying, be good. Listen to grandma. Listen to grandpa. Go to bed when they tell you to go to bed. Don't ask for stuff that you don't normally get at home because you're a grandparent. You know, just those closing instructions that's sort of what this is. Um, some, if you don't have time for all the verbal instructions, sometimes you can just give the look. And the kids know. This is Paul giving them the look. You know what you're supposed to be doing. I expect you to be growing in these things, is basically what Paul is saying. He expects them to be watchful, wakeful, acting like adults. That's what that word there, act like men. It basically just means be mature, be adults. Paul loves them enough to have expectations for them because God loves them enough to have expectations for them. So the way the gospel works is God looks down at us imperfect people full of sin and he sends Jesus Christ to live the perfect life that we have failed to live, die the death that we have earned with our imperfection and our sin so that we could be forgiven and cleansed and given Jesus' perfect record. So if you're here and you're a Christian, God looks at you and sees Jesus' perfection. That's your record. Your past, present, and future sins are all covered by Jesus' record. It's good news. But practically, he's expecting you to grow into that new identity now as a Christian. You should be growing. He has expectations for us as one of his churches, like Paul had for the Corinthians here. A loving parent has expectations for their children. They don't just say, oh, you're going to crawl forever. You're never going to learn how to walk. It's hopeless. No, they expect that the child's going to learn how to walk. They don't just say, oh, you're never going to learn how to ride your bike. It's hopeless. No, they have expectations that when they come of age, they're going to be able to learn how to ride their bike. Have similar expectations for their behavior and their morality and respect and all these things. It's an unloving parent that has no expectations for their children. Well, God is a loving father. And he has expectations for his churches, even the troubled ones like the Corinthians. God expects them to straighten up. He expects them to act like Christians if they have Christ. So as we reflect on this evidence of God's love to this troubled church, I just want you to think about your own life and how you've grown as a Christian. Think about your life since you became a Christian and how you've grown. That's evidence of God's love for you. Now think about where you stand now and and how you can grow moving forward. God has expectations that you're not going to be the same today 
uh, next year that you are today, that you're going to continue to grow because he loves you. So Paul loved them enough he wanted to visit them. He loved them enough that he expected them to grow. Third, he loved them so much that he celebrated the best that was in them. Look at verse 15. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. So most likely, Stephanus and these other two guys were the group that took the Corinthians letter to Paul and then hung out with Paul while he crafted a response, and we're now bringing this letter that we're reading back to the Corinthians. And Paul is saying... Here is an example. This is someone from among you. This is one of the first converts in your area. Faithful to Jesus, faithful to me, refreshing to me, a devoted servant to the saints, to the fellow Christians, a worker and a laborer. Recognize people like this in your midst. Celebrate people like this in your midst. Paul didn't look at this deeply troubled church and say, it's hopeless. Stephanus, you guys... Y'all are like the only ones in that church that get it. I'll tell you what, you send this letter back to them and then you move along and find a different church because that group of people is hopeless. You need to move on. No, he sends them back with a note to tell the church, see, they're like you. They're from your culture, but they're doing it. They get it. Recognize people like this. Emulate people like this. Even in messed up churches, there's people like Stephanus very often. He doesn't tell them to leave. He tells them to lead. I think in our consumer church culture, we really thwart ourselves here. Often over the years, I've had people say, this church is deficient in this way, and therefore I'm leaving. And I'm going over here to this church that seems sufficient in this way. Um, Back earlier in my ministry, we were weaker in terms of children's ministry, and I had Several folks come to me and say, this church is not serving our needs for children's ministry, and so we're leaving. And I can't help but wonder what was lost there. If perhaps God had revealed that weakness in our church to those individuals so that they might rise up and lead in that area and bring forth suggestions and manpower and help us develop in that area so we were no longer weak instead of moving on. We're just too quick to move on. If Stephanus could hang with the Corinthian church, we can hang together and keep working at it together. So as we consider this aspect of God's love for us, think about the folks in our church and think about who is exemplary among us. Don't say any names out loud, but just think about our church. God has given us a lot of Stephanuses, a lot of examples of people who are very faithful to the Lord. I feel like we're very rich with people like that. That's something to praise God for. He has loved us well in that way. So Paul loved them enough to visit them. He loved them enough to expect them to grow. He loved them enough to celebrate the best of what was in them. He loved them enough to foster relationships with them. Get verse 19. Getting very close to the end of the letter now. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prissa 
together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, if you're Paul and you're supervising a whole bunch of churches, some of them are going pretty well, some of them are a little weaker, and then you've got the Corinthians over here that are just a disaster area. You might think that the thing to do would just be to quarantine them off, just seal them off from all these other churches and tell the other churches, listen, if you get letters from Corinth, if you just do not interact with Corinth, they are way too messed up. But no, Paul is like my grandpa Broadway. My grandpa Broadway was always trying to pull the entire family together into these giant family reunions. And it would be cousins of cousins of cousins of cousins there I went to a couple of them, and we were just sitting there awkwardly. We didn't know anybody. But it was very important to my grandpa to try to keep it all together, keep the family all connected. Uh, We didn't participate very well in that. We probably should have participated better. But that's kind of what Paul is like. No, the Corinthian church is a mess, but I have high hopes for them. And they're not going to benefit from isolation from the other churches. They need relationships with the other churches. So he tries to keep it all together. He says, I've I've been with the churches of Asia. They send their greetings. They say hi. They're aware of you guys. Likely they were all praying for them. Specifically, Aquila and Prissa here, these were people who originally were from Corinth, but then they traveled around kind of with Paul, um, pastoring house churches. They send their greetings, hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. In fact, greet one another. I'm not there to give you a a holy kiss, so give each other a holy kiss. That was a culturally normal way for them to greet each other back then. We don't have to start giving each other kisses at church. It would be today like, you know, give each other a high five in my absence, or give each other a hug. So Paul wants them to be united together. He wants them united with the other churches, even though they were so troubled. He didn't give up on them. He didn't blackball them. He didn't cut them off from relationships with the other churches. Now, as we think about this aspect of God's love, I want you to think a little bit about your relationships. Think about the relationships that God has blessed you with. Just start individual within our church. Not, you know, there are Christians around the world that don't have relationships like what we get to enjoy together. That's a blessing. And then think about where our church fits into the broader network of relationships we enjoy as being a part of a denomination. There's a lot of non-denominational churches that are just kind of hanging out there, isolated on their own. But we get to be a part of a network of sister churches and know each other. I get to have friends who are pastors of these other churches. That's so strengthening. That's such an evidence of God's love for us. Paul loved them enough that he wanted to visit them, that he expected them to grow, that he celebrated the best that was in them, that he fostered relationships with them. And that he would say hard things to them. Now we're really getting down to the very, very tail end. Paul loved them enough to say hard things to them. Verse 21. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. So the rest of this letter was probably transcribed by hand by a guy named Sosthenes, who was mentioned at the beginning of the letter. But this last bit, Paul takes the whatever, the quill, And he writes it with his hand. We think that he had some vision issues, so it was probably a little bit sloppy, but it was unmistakably his handwriting. And what's the first thing he writes in his own handwriting? Verse 22. 
If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. Now you might think, well, that seems unloving. But no, in the context of this letter, we know that it isn't coming from a place of hate. It's coming from love. Paul loves them too much to let them go on embracing a lack of love for the Lord in their church culture. And so he speaks harshly to address a serious matter. Let them be accursed. Let them be condemned, destroyed. That means very harsh, very strong language. Now, if Lillian, let's just use as an example, I didn't approve this by her, but if Lillian got a splinter in her hand, well, she's actually, it's not a good example because she's older now, but when she was little, let's say, she got a splinter in her finger. That hurts a little bit, and it's a problem. There's a little sliver of wood in her finger. But when dad comes at her with a safety pin and tweezers, that seems like it's going to hurt a whole lot worse. To a very little child, that almost seems unloving. Why would you do that? Why? It already hurts. Why would you dig around in there and make it now it's bleeding now? It wasn't even bleeding before. And Why would you cause me this pain? But we with an adult wisdom know, know causing that pain is an expression of love and care for her. We're not going to let that splinter stay in there and get infected. We're not going to do that. We're going to cause her the necessary pain to heal her. And so Paul, causing this pain with these words, is doing it out of love. He loves them too much to just let them go off the deep end, so he's willing to say the hard things. We have an issue with this, I think, down in the south, maybe more than up north in the church. We equate love with niceness. When sometimes love doesn't always express itself in niceness, sometimes it expresses itself in saying the hard things. I don't like doing this. Like I said, 100% conflict averse up here. But it is a part of Christian love because that's how God loves us. He addresses the sensitive issues. And actually, I think true Christian love shows itself best in conflict. I think true Christian love shines brightest when there's trouble. Because we don't have to fall apart like people in the world do who just say, well, I'm never going to forgive you. And I don't want to hear it, and so I'm leaving. That's not the way Christians ought to be. That's not the kind of love we've received from God. We love each other enough to be able to say hard things to each other when necessary. And we love each other enough to be able to receive hard words from each other when necessary. Now, it's easy for me to stand up here and preach about, and it's very difficult to practice, but I believe it's true. I've seen examples of it lived out from within our church family. And I think we're growing in it. So as we think about this aspect of God's love, I just want you to think a little bit about how God has addressed you over the years and dealt with sensitive matters. How he's convicted you of sin. How through his word he has perhaps said some harsh things to you, but out of love. Because he loves us that way. And so I have one last point, the last two verses of the letter Paul loved them enough. He wanted to visit them. He expected them to grow up. He celebrated the best in them. He fostered relationships with them. He said hard things to them. And finally, just simply, I'm not sure it's the best way to word it, but 
He wanted the best for them. He just wanted the very best for them. Let's look at the last two verses of the letter. All this hard stuff that he has addressed, here's how he ends. This is the landing. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all. In Christ Jesus, amen. The beginning and end of the letter are on notes of God's grace through the Lord Jesus. Unmerited blessing, unearned blessing, unmerited favor in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul wants for these Corinthians. He doesn't want them to get what they deserve. God forbid. He wants them to get what they don't deserve, the grace of God, the blessings of God through Jesus Christ. All the pain they've inflicted on him, he doesn't throw back at him, them in bitterness. All their criticisms, all their resistance to his leadership, he doesn't throw back at them in bitterness. What he throws back at them, along with the truth clearly stated, is a prayer for God's grace to cover them. Because he loves them, even though they are a mess. He loves them. It feels kind of like a good father with a child at bedtime, tucking them in after a hard, exhausting day of disobedience. Now, if you've ever had a hard day with a child where they've just been fighting against you all day, it's just been a tough day, just discipline issue after discipline issue against each other all day, them trying to figure out the boundaries or whatever the problem is. It's over now. You're getting tucked in. You've, de- you've dealt with it the best you can. You tuck your child in. What you want them to go to bed with isn't a sense of your disappointment in them. It isn't a sense of your aggravation with them. You want them to go to bed with a sense of your love for them. In spite of it all, you want them to know that you love them. Now, I've told you this before. I don't say it really as much as I used to now that my kids are a little older, but I heard it somewhere, and I adopted the practice of when I would tuck them in, I would get them all settled in, and I would tell them I loved them, and I would say, well, why does your dad love you? Is it because you're so cute? And i say, no, because I did it every night, and it was redundant. And i say, is it because you're so smart? No. Is it because you're so obedient? No. Is it because you do so well at school? No. Is it because you're so funny? No. i say, that's right. I do think you're all those things. But I love you because you're my son. I love you because you're my daughter. And that is never going to change. I am always going to be your father. You're always going to be my child. Even if tomorrow you woke up and you weren't cute anymore for some reason. You slept on your face funny and it got stuck that way. Or if you wake up tomorrow and you're not funny anymore for some reason. Or if you wake up tomorrow and you're not smart in school anymore. Or you're, you're not obedient anymore. You're disobedient. None of that is going to shake my love for you because my love for you is not based on those things. It's based on our relationship. I am your father. And so Paul, after all these things, he's kind of tucking them in here. You're getting this wrong, you're getting this wrong, you're getting this wrong, you're getting this wrong. You are my worst church (laughs) by far. But I don't love you because you're stellar in all these things. I love you because we're fellow Christians, and this is the love that we've received from God through Jesus Christ. And so may Jesus' grace be with you all, you messy, tangled-up bunch of Christians May Jesus' grace cover you all, and let my love be with you. Know that I love you. 
And then he ends with that word, amen. We say that at the end of our prayers. That was the final word in the book of Romans. After our lengthy study of Romans, it's the final word of this book also. Basically, it just means I heartily agree. It's kind of the ancient version of my name is Paul and I endorse this message or I approve this message. Say, all this is true. All these 16 chapters, I put my stamp on. Yes, you need to fix these things. Yes, you need to grow in these things. But also, yes, you have God's grace through Jesus Christ, and you have my love. Now, I hope as we close this book, this study, that we have been challenged in many ways because we are a deeply imperfect church. We have a lot of growing to do. Not numerically only, although that would be awesome. But we have a lot of flaws and a lot of weaknesses. I do as your pastor. You do as congregants. I'd like to list those now. Uh, alphabetically. No, I'm just I, closing, This closing study this week has been really refreshing for me because as your pastor, I think I tend to think about the negatives more than the positives because I feel like these are my responsibility to help us address it was just so refreshing to me to remember, yes, it's true, Dolan's Grove. You are deeply imperfect in many ways. But you're progressing, and you have God's love. Like, you don't have to wait until you fix A, B, and C to have God's love. God loves us. He just does. And it's not because we're so great or because we have such a handsome pastor or because we, uh, he won't love us more if we get great church signage so that visitors know where to go, although I think we should. He won't love us more if after, as a result of this summer we come up with awesome outreach and evangelism plans. He won't love us more if all of our church members start to come back. His love for us is maximum all the time because that's who he is, and we are his children through Jesus Christ. Now, Lord willing, we will grow in all those ways, but not to earn his love. We have it already. So let's leave this book study rejoicing. We've, we've heard some harsh words throughout this study over the last several summers. Let's take those in humbly and grow, but let's leave rejoicing. We have God's love in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us like this. Thank you for letting us be your children. You know better than we do how imperfect we are, how much we need to grow. We open ourselves up to your instructions. We want to grow. We want to progress. We want to move forward. But today, I just pray for your people, and not just our church, all your churches, that they would have a sense of your love for them, your settled, once and for all, secured love in Jesus Christ. Let us just bask in that this week and be joyful and peaceful in it. In Jesus' name, amen.